This is a recording of On Air with the Chair Live, conducted on May 25, 2021, at 6 p.m. Central. Participants include Captain Nicholas James, MEC Chairman, Captain David Zergot, MEC Vice Chairman, and First Officer Jade Shiwi, MEC Secretary and Treasurer, as well as Jane Schraft, Senior Labor Relations at Alpa National. The full video of this call is available at the Endeavor MEC website on the members' homepage. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this very, very special episode of On Air with the Chair Live. As always, I'm your MEC Chairman, Captain Nicholas James. Tonight, we've got a pretty full agenda for you. We're going to primarily be talking about the tentative agreement that we reached with the company. But before we get into that, let's take a moment to introduce uh, my fellow colleagues and our Senior Labor Relations Attorney, Jane Schraft. And then we also have some brief updates for you on some other union business not necessarily related to the TA before we get into a briefing and then our question and answers. So for now... Dave, take it away. Hi, uh, my name is Captain David Zergot. I'm the MEC Vice Chair and a Detroit 900 Captain. Hello, I'm Jay Chiwi. I'm the MEC Secretary Treasurer. I'm a FTI dual qualified ground instructor and sim instructor. And I'm Jane Schraff, Senior Labor Relations Attorney. All right, everyone. Like we said, we're here primarily to talk about the tentative agreement. But before we delve into that, let's talk about some other business of the association. And Jade, why don't you uh, start us off? Yeah, the first thing we want to talk about would be the wonderful pub event we just put on down in Atlanta. First, I want to thank everybody who had the ability to participate in that pub event. Uh, we had some awesome opportunities to invite uh, the Delta MEC. With that, uh, we had the vice chair of the Delta MEC, some of their other council members, and some of their other chairmen were down at that event. Along with Bridget Matarisa's family were able to attend that event. Her daughter and her father were down at that event. It was very, very successful, so successful that when we talked to the MEC, talked to the pilots, that we've decided to look forward to doing another event, possibly in Detroit and Minneapolis coming up this summer. We're looking Detroit, Looks like me and Nick have discussed it along with Dave and the MEC. We're looking at July, probably a couple weeks into July is what the event we're looking like. So if you have the ability to make that event, keep your calendar open. Probably July 18th is the date we're trying to set up the event. Uh, could shift a couple days here or there is what we're looking for. But it was so successful, it looks like we're going to continue with going forward with pub events throughout the system. Yeah, Jade, it was actually a really good time. And again, as Jade said, the Delta MEC was there, which was uh, excellent, excellent news. Great uh, camaraderie, great uh, unity building. And actually, one of our former MEC chairman, Jonathan Allen, was also in attendance. So it was really, really excellent to see him. Um, to talk about uh, committee turnovers and staffing, uh, Dave, why don't you take it away, sir? Thanks, Nick. Um, so one of the duties as the MEC vice chairman, or actually one of the primary duties of the MEC vice chairman is to keep looking at the committee structure and given the flow agreement that's been reached, should it be ratified, we took a deep dive to look and see which committees are gonna have the most turnover going forward. Uh, and those right now are looking to be the scheduling committee uh, where the, both the chairman and the vice chairman will be scheduled to flow fairly quickly should this be ratified. And then, but there are some other committees that are gonna have some increased turnover like grievance, uh, central air safety, the negotiating committee, as well as the MEC officers. If you're interested in any of these committees uh, going forward, please continue to fill out the uh, volunteer interest form on alpa.org edv, and we'll make sure to forward that to the correct committee chair, and we'll look to uh, getting you to join as a committee volunteer. Thanks, Dave. 
And let's, before we get into the details of the tentative agreement and how we reached a deal with the company, let's talk a little bit about just generally the state of the union at Endeavor. It's kind of hard to believe that 13 short months ago, we were in a very, very different spot. In fact, our industry in a world was a very different spot. The coronavirus pandemic was about, well, was in the middle of taking hold, and we were watching 90% of our flying evaporate what, in what seemed like overnight. And this caused a lot of airlines to start to have to take drastic measures, including concessions and furloughs. We were even, uh, last April, I think it was, um, at the table with David Garrison and his team looking at possibly having to entertain 27% pay cuts to go along with uh, some other concessions, uh, being able to return FTIs to the line without the 60-day window, and possibly even having to consider taking new hires, which was defined as anybody in their first year, taking their monthly guarantee down to about half of what it is today at the 75 hours. So we were you know, faced with some very, very tough decisions, but what we were able to do was use our strong relationships uh, with the company. We were able to use our problem-solving processes. We put together uh, deals that made sense for both of us, including uh, TVLOAs, which were very well subscribed to by um, the pilot group, along with putting into effect um, LTLOAs, which were the long-term leaves of absences. Along the way, we also were able to get the COVID pay protection letters in place, which gave the pay protections and the financial stability that our pilots needed and desired uh, as, again, as the pandemic took hold. And then moving forward into this year, we were able to successfully negotiate uh, positive space travel for you, along with one flight call in honest. Um, and as we get, went through the pandemic, we, weren't, uh, we went through it without taking a single furlough, and we also went through it without taking any involuntary concessions. So it was the best result that we could have hoped for, and we were well positioned coming out of that um, to accelerate into the future in a post-pandemic world. So what ended up happening in that post-pandemic world is Delta came to us, or I should say Endeavor came to us, with a need and a problem to solve. And that's what has led us to this tentative agreement that is before you and the pilot group today. Please keep in mind as we get started, all of the reps are in the crew rooms and domiciles and airports all week long. So please take the opportunities to engage with them. We've had some very, very good and positive feedback over the last couple days. But again, make sure you're taking advantage of it. There's also been a podcast that has been released that will cover a lot of the same information that you're going to receive here in the briefing. That's our standard on-air with the chair live. We just, excuse me, on-air with the chair. We just um, did another special update on that. It's not uh, our normal monthly one. It's just a special one. But then we have this live call to give you that same information and provide you the Q&A that uh, we know you love. So let's talk a little bit about this tentative agreement. First and foremost, I want you to know that this is a very historic and groundbreaking agreement that meets and advances our number one strategic objective, which is guaranteed and contractual career progression. And why or what brought us to this conclusion or this result? Well, first and foremost, it was you, the line pilots. And let's talk a little bit about how that ended up uh, occurring. We did a survey last December. I think we received the results uh, in time for the January MEC meeting because we'd received some feedback from some pilots, especially in that zero to five year range that while career progression is great, that strategy or that plan was put into place long before those pilots started to arrive on property from 2015 to later, and is that still the number one strategic objective? And it was a fair question. So we posed that question to the pilot group, and the results were overwhelmingly in favor of career progression. We had about 50% of the pilot group participate in the survey, and of those respondents, 
were in the zero to five longevity range, which means 70% were DGI eligible candidates, okay? Of the respondents, 86% said guaranteed and contractual career progression is the number one priority for us as far as career progression models are concerned. So clearly, when you take a look at what we've achieved here today, as far as this tentative agreement that's before you, that meets your number one strategic objective. Now, the other question that works in tandem with that is, what do we, we know career progression is your number one priority, but in what order should we be achieving these strategic objectives? And again, we ask the question, what do you want us to focus on as an MEC post-pandemic? Number one answer, career progression. That has been accomplished inside this deal. Number two, job security. That has also been accomplished inside this deal. Why we didn't increase the number of dual-class aircraft that wasn't available to us uh, in this agreement, we did lengthen the time of the bridge agreement till 2031, so as long as the agreement stays into effect. And we'll get into more details on that a little bit later. Number three, new contractual benefits. We did achieve those through making sure that our contract doesn't stagnate through a Section 6 process by securing contract escalators throughout every single year, including on the amendable date, uh, which is not something that we typically see in the industry, but something that we have in our contract currently, and we maintain that standard. And then the number four response was avoiding concessions, which we're in a very, very good sp uh, space to do that. Now, while as while we're really happy with the deal, I want to emphasize to the pilots that it's not a perfect deal. And there's two things that make it less than a perfect deal. Okay, first and foremost, it doesn't apply to new hires. It only applies to pilots that are on the seniority list at the date of ratification. And that is has to do with how the original Compass Agreement was put into place. So since this doesn't apply to new hires, and we do believe in progression for all, we still have more work to do on that front. Um, we do believe that there's going to be bargaining opportunities in the future to be able to do that. Um, we think that there's going to, uh, we should be able to capture those opportunities sooner rather than later, but as of right now, it does not apply to new hires. The second reason that it's not a perfect deal is because we're not in control of our own destiny. Our flow agreement is a, attached to an arbitration process that we aren't necessarily in full control over. So until, it re until the flow agreement is part of the Endeavor JCBA and we are in complete control of our own um, destiny, the, uh, the, excuse me, the Progression for All campaign will absolutely continue. If you haven't had an opportunity to um, take advantage of one of our new Progression for All lanyards, please um, get onto the EDV MEC website, fill out a lanyard request form, and we'll ship one right to your house. We're also going to be getting some new badge backers. We actually had a production model that was shipped here uh, about a month ago. We did some trial runs uh, with them out on the line uh, during trips. They're of uh, very, very good quality, and they've got a lot of really good information on the back. Um, and I think you guys are really going to like those. So if you want to wear the lanyard and the badge backer, great. If you're not so much of a lanyard person, but you still want to uh, support progression for all, the badge backer is the perfect opportunity to do that. Now, a lot of people have asked, the, the question over the years, um, what has led us to career progression or is an orange lanyard the reason that we're getting uh, career progression? And let me you know, first emphasize to the pilot group that there's a lot of different reasons why we've reached a flow agreement with Delta Airlines. Number one, operational performance, okay? And that is directly, you are in direct control of that and you guys do a wonderful job out there. We consistently meet or exceed the operational performance metrics that are placed on us by Delta, and that is recognized. Number two, customer service. We do a very, very good job with our net promoter scores. We have to keep that up. Number three, 
Yes, it is the PFA campaign in and of itself, showing unity and showing our resolve to achieve our number one strategic objective. And then here on our end, through this team and the negotiators that are not on this, uh, this live call right now, it's all of the negotiations, the strategy, the strat planning sessions, and the relationship building that we do with a company that breaks down those walls and those barriers and those objections and helps us be able to strike when the iron is hot, just like it was for this agreement. So let's take a little bit of time real quick and talk about the three prongs of the, not this agreement that we have before us, but the opening proposal that was from the company at the start of negotiations, okay? So when we started negotiations about, uh, was it three weeks ago now? I think it was three weeks yeah. ago. Um, when we walked into that room on Monday, we were handed a proposal with three separate parts, okay? There was a contract modification section in which the company was looking for a lot of contractual modifications and relief that would drive efficiencies. Number two was a career advancement plan or the cap, very similar to what we have discussed with uh, Delta before. Uh, knowing that the flow would only apply to new hires, they wanted a guaranteed and contractual model that would, or excuse me, the flow would only apply to people on the ISL. They wanted a guaranteed and contractual model that applied to new hires as well. So that was in play, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then, of course, satisfying in Delta's viewpoint uh, the requirements of LOA 9 in order to unlock 35 um, regional jets. So let's start off with the contract modifications. And for that, let's turn it over to our Secretary Treasurer, Treasurer Jade Shiwi, who was at the negotiating table with us. Well, thank you, Nick. I, I appreciate that. And thank you for taking me to the negotiations. Uh, it was my first opportunity to, to see such an extensive negotiation opportunity. And with that, the proposal that was presented was very extensive. And we're just gonna cover a brief of that. We're not gonna get into every single one. So with that, I'm gonna cover a couple of key topics. One of the first one was the credit push language. Now within LOA 71, we were able to establish credit push language, which limited the credit push to the bottom 30% of the pilots, which allows our pilots to kind of protect their credit lines and not allow the company to push unwanted flying for that top 70%. So that's a good relief when we talk about quality of life improvement that we were able to establish within that provision during LOA 71. Now also, when we talked about long call reserve, the credit came, uh, the company came to us and was asking some relief on some of the LCR language. We understood under the survey, 76% of our pilots really, really like LCR and prefer that LCR as their number one uh, opportunity if they do have to sit reserve. They want to increase that. The company asked to reduce the current uh, language to 15%. Also, they wanted to take the escalation pay down and reduce that also. So with that as a high priority for our pilots, when it comes to reserve pilots, we saw that as a significant reduction in quality of life. Another thing they were asking for was OE withholding. Some of the OE withholding by uh, modifications, they wanted to eliminate that reserve cap of 23%. They wanted to be able to do that by, pos by position. Now, when you do that by position, we know that's really gonna drive uh, efficiency down, which allows them basically to create a ton of reserves Again, they're looking at a huge increase of efficiency here, but again, driving reserves up. 
Uh, non-seniority list scope, they would like to go to 100% non-seniority list scope. Again, they have some ability currently to use non-seniority list instructors. Um, with using the non-seniority list instructors, they can have that ability uh, to go all the way up to MT5 currently with the new hires and do some of those upgrade training. So they have that ability. They would like to do 100% of the training currently. Now, as you can see, some of this, again, this was all in the beginning stages of that phase. They would also like uh, to increase the training freezes for both new hires and for both uh, new hires and upgrade for the fleet types. They were looking at increasing those training freezes and looking to increase the number ready reserves. They wanted to separate JFK and LaGuardia when it came to just ready reserve <laughs> types. So that was something that was kind of interesting that still wanted them to have a co-domicile, but treat them differently when it came to the ready reserves, um, to increase ready reserves in that, uh, in that opportunity. They were also looking at to looking to make the new hire bonus unlimited. We had some issues with that. If you make the new hire bonus unlimited, you can actually inverse pay when it comes to seniority. You can offer a new hire $100,000 bonus as they come in, and now they're making more than a captain. So you have to really try to understand that uh, currently we have a limitation of that of 20,000 uh, for some of those reasons, right? You don't want to inverse that opportunity and kind of keep control of that. They also have been going after, since we have the introduction of the iPad, of having direct contact. Direct contact something the company has always wanted to go after. Now, this is something we kind of entertained the idea, but we were really going to limit uh, how direct contact was used. We don't want any pilot walking around all the time having direct access or having to carry the iPad around all the time uh, as a direct contact means. So there was something that we were willing to talk about, but again, it's gonna have to be limited on how they're gonna use that mean uh, for the iPad for direct contact. Those were some of the big asks that they were, they were looking for on that. Now, these are about half of some of the asks that they were talking about in exchange for the original career progression or cap plan that Nick was kind of going into or will explain here in a minute. Uh, we also offered several other opportunities um, and some were quite, quite funny. Um, I'm sure Nick will talk to you about the <laughs> uniform, which I find quite hilarious um, <laughs> and uh, that was offered up and we agreed upon, but uh, eventually was taken away. So we'll, we'll get to that and uh, I'm gonna turn it over to Nick on, on the next approach on the career advancement plan or actually Dave's gonna take over career advancement plan well, before we, uh, before we go to Dave, yes, um, just to give a little bit more background on the contract modification section uh, to the pilot group, um, it was very clear that they were looking for a lot of contractual relief in exchange for this career progression model, okay? And the problem with that was is we also had 35 jets in play, okay? And so did they. And we knew that uh, it was, while we may not have been the only option, we knew that we were going to be the best option. So it was really hard to also give any type of contractual relief on that side. The other thing that was challenging is the company said that their timeline for negotiations was about a week. So you can do a robust package or you can do an expeditious package, but it's almost impossible to do both, especially if you're gonna do it right. You make sure the costing and all the numbers are correct. You make sure all the language is correct. 
getting it done in that time frame was going to be very, very challenging. So when we came back to the table with our list of 20 quids in exchange for some of these items, the complexity of the package was so great that the company realized, you know what, we really need to streamline it down into what is the most important. Because as Jade said, this only represents about half of what they were seeking. And with respect to the uniforms, yes, in all my years of negotiation, I've never seen anything like this that happened, but they requested uniform changes uh, to basically mirror the Delta FOM, which we've always stated, and we will state again, we would be more than happy to look like Delta pilots if we're going to be made Delta pilots. So we said, yes, we could absolutely uh, accept the hat. And I, would, I even said, we will accept the double-breasted jacket. I'm not sure if that's where you're going, but I think that if you're going to create a brand, let's create a brand. And so we came to an agreement on that. And then, then in the next proposal, after coming to an agreement on it, they actually removed it from their own proposal. So that was kind of curious. Um, but again, I think it was just a, an effort to streamline the process. So that gives you some um, indications on the contract modification side. Now I'm going to turn it over to uh, Dave Zergot, who's going to talk to you about that cap plan, which again, the flow would, would be for the pilots on the seniority list. The cap was going to be for everybody that came after that. It's not in play right now, but we do think there's going to be an opportunity in the future later. So Dave, take it away. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Uh, like you said, uh, the cap plan was designed to be more for the new hires. Um, and this was, uh, just keep in mind what I'm going to go through with you was their initial proposal. And uh, we did counter with them once, uh, but then the decision was made to go down a different road as far as the negotiations. So we never received another proposal from them. So many of these items were in their initial proposal, but would be subject to a negotiation going forward. So one thing that CAP uh, did was it did meet our guaranteed and contractual model that we've been pushing for uh, going forward. It was essentially a flow, but with certain gates. Uh, they had a 48-month service requirement uh, with the airline, and then inside of that would be 24-month, uh, sorry, a 24-month service re uh, requirement as a captain. You'd also have to meet uh, all of uh, Delta's objective requirements, which, just to name a few, are college degrees and uh, no DUIs in the previous 10 years. Um, also, no active discipline or attendance letters. Look, keep in mind uh, the, the word active there because uh, discipline letters typically come off of your file uh, as active uh, within two years, and attendance letters can be anywhere from six months, uh, I believe, to either two years or 18 months. Um, they also had no more than two letters in a 48-month look back, uh, and also uh, no more than two training failures uh, while at Endeavor. Uh, and, but there was... Um, there was some confusion as to what a training failure was, uh, whether it was pre or reportable training failures or something else. Again, those would be subject to a negotiation uh, in the future. Overall, it's very similar to what we've proposed uh, um, in the past as far as an objective-based career advancement plan, and even in better, better in some ways, uh, but there were some exclusions. Um, also, pilots uh, without, uh, or sorry, pilots with any certificate action taken against them uh, uh, from the FAA uh, could be denied movement. Um, there were three or more training failures would disqualify somebody from participating in the cap. Um, also, um, they were there was uh, a restriction in there that would remove eligibility for pilots who had interviewed with Delta through another program. Um, uh, being eligible for the cap. So anybody who interviewed off the street, DGI, ETD, Propel, SSP, uh, or who were uh, uh, knocked out of the Delta selection process through the PRB, which is uh, day two of the Delta off the street interview program. Um, 
It also maximized uh, movement uh, to 20 per month, which was also inclusive of five off the streets, uh, off the street interviews uh, per month as well. So um, there would be five that could go out of seniority order, and the remainder of the 15 would go in seniority order. Um, but interestingly, the document didn't say any pilots actually had to move. It was a, it was just a maximum number with no minimum number stated. Um, and again, like I said before, the negotiating committee countered uh, with some changes which were taken under advisement, but Delta ultimately uh, wanted to put it on hold and uh, just uh, secure the current deal that you have in front of you uh, rather than go back and forth on this plan in the meantime. Thanks, Dave. And yeah, I think you, you definitely hit the nail on the head. Um, it, the CAP program uh, in a lot of ways was better and in some ways was worse, but subject to a negotiation. And it was just a negotiation that we didn't have really the time to do because we had to streamline it into what was most important. And what was most important, uh, at least to Delta Airlines, was ensuring that these 35 dual-class aircraft are back into operation. And that really brings us to kind of the linchpin of the entire deal. So if you, actually, if you take a look at um, inside the pilot working agreement, which is the PWA at Delta, if you take a look inside their scope section, specifically uh, 1B47F exception 2, and I'm going to paraphrase it here a little bit, but it says essentially if the LOA-9 at Compass ceases to exist at Compass or another airline, the dual class uh, feed within the DCI network, so 76 seat aircraft, needs to be reduced by 35 airplanes. In other words, drawn down from 223 down to 188 aircraft. Now, the key phrase in there is at Compass or another airline. So let me kind of talk a little bit about what the two positions are. Delta Airlines believes that or another airline, that verbiage contained in 1B47F Exception 2, contemplates that this deal could potentially go somewhere else. The Delta MEC believes that they need to be a signatory to any deal that involves Delta pilots or where Delta pilots may eventually end up, and so that they need to be a party to that agreement. So what we have right now is just a contractual dispute between Delta and the Delta MEC that will likely be either resolved in an arbitration process or potentially a negotiated settlement. That's all this comes down to is a simple contractual dispute. I've had many conversations with Jason Ambrosi, Kevin Collins, and, and other members of the Delta MEC, and I want to impress upon you that they are fully supportive of Endeavor achieving career progression. The other thing that I think that is important to note for the pilots, Endeavor is not the only place that they could have potentially placed this deal. If Endeavor was Delta's only option, strategically, we very well might have made a different decision. However, this deal can go somewhere else. It can go to Republic. It can go to SkyWest. It could potentially go to a non-DCI carrier under Delta's idea that they can unilaterally make that decision. Okay. Now, again, that's going to be up for an arbitrator to decide. But when we think about what it, who is best served strategically, both in terms of the Endeavor MEC, the Endeavor pilots, the Delta MEC, the Delta pilots, and ALPA as an association overall, it made strong strategic sense for us to accept that, even if this deal is only going to last in the interim, you know, not in permanence, it makes sense to do that because what we're going to do by accepting this deal is we are going to set a new standard here at Endeavor. We've always talked about guaranteed and contractual career progression, and we've actually tried to shy purposefully away from that word flow because we know it brings up a lot of sensitivities. When you have a no-hold-bards, all-access, unfettered flow to Delta Airlines, there's no quality control process in Delta view, Delta's viewpoints, and that can uh, 
that can give them a certain level of consternation. But now, because we're going to be on the precipice of achieving this, now there's the potential for a flow to become the standard program. And so we're setting a precedent. The Delta MEC is fully supportive of guaranteed and contractual career progression for Endeavor. Strategically, they understand why this is a very good deal for us. Also by accepting it, um, because we do have to accept that there is a possibility that uh, the Delta MEC could lose this arbitration, flowing back to Endeavor, flowing back to a, an ALPA property is far more beneficial than flowing back to, let's say, a SkyWest or a Republic. So there's a lot of really good reasons strategically for us to continue um, coordinating our efforts, which we are doing, and keeping lines of communication open. We just need to make sure that all of the pilots here at Endeavor and all the pilots here at Delta are on the same page, that this is not an Endeavor versus Delta pilot issue, that this is simply a contractual dispute and they, uh, between Delta and the Delta MEC, and they will use their, their tools that they have at their disposal to rectify that dispute. Now again, I want to emphasize that this is not, um, we are not setting ourselves up on a collision course with the Delta MEC or the Delta pilots. And we need to make sure that we are working hard at our level, and I know the Delta MEC is working very hard on their level, to educate their pilots to understand that, again, this is just a contractual dispute, okay? But for now, what's going to happen if this, if this agreement is ratified either by the pilots of Endeavor Air or by the MEC, if this goes into effect, we will achieve a flow agreement um, until this is like, again, either arbitrated or settled um, through negotiations at the Delta level. And the time frame on that is completely unknown. We would move at a rate of 20 per month, and again, there are no gates. The only requirements are 30 months of active service, and you must be a captain to move. That is the only requirement. So if you'd previously failed an OTS interview, an ETD, a DGI, an SSP, you would still be eligible to move. If you um, were sent back uh, from the pilot review board, you would still be eligible to move, okay? So those are a really, really great outcome as that actually exceeds what we were trying to achieve originally with just a guaranteed and contractual career progression model. So, Jane, is there anything you would like to add? I don't have anything at this point, Nick, thanks. You're welcome. I was really doing that to buy myself some time to get some water. <laughs> All right, so I think now, um, Dave, Jade, are you guys ready to go into Q&A mode? Absolutely. Yep, that sounds good. Awesome. All right, well, we've got these new little earpieces, so bear with us. We're going to start off with um, some email questions. We have five callers in the queue? Okay, perfect. We're going to start off with some email questions, but for those of you that are in the queue, after we do a few minutes of email questions, we will take your live calls. So I will start off with the first question, um, and that is from First Officer Daniel Blell. Um, Daniel writes, thanks for doing these podcasts, um, or the live calls. They are really informative. I have a question for the presenters. I'm trying to better understand scope clause in relation to our operation. What is the history of our scope limitations with mainline? That's a very, Daniel, that's a very, very open-ended question, um, probably a little bit too big uh, for this discussion because it could go into a variety of different uh, carriers, uh, both at the fee-for-departure level and at our mainline level. So I think that's going to be a little too big for uh, this discussion. Um, does the Delta MEC often bargain scope for LOA benefits for the mainline pilot group? You know, scope just has to do with, you know, whether it's on the, the joint venture side, which is the high end or the low end. Each MEC is going to make the strategic decisions that they feel is best for their pilot group um, and their carrier. Um, so we've often seen um, 
negotiations over scope clauses um, that both increase and decrease scope based upon the strategic objectives of the pilot group at that time. And the last part of it is there uh, that Daniel writes, is something along those lines the only way to see us acquire 175 E2 space jet or other aircraft that don't meet the current agreement due to weight or capacity? I mean, yes, in, in theory, that that would be the only way to unlock those types of opportunities. Or is the plan to try and convince manufacturers to produce us a new compliant aircraft? That's a little bit outside the scope of the Endeavor MEC. We don't actually bargain with um, aircraft manufacturers, so I really won't be able to give you a strong answer on that. Um, let's go on to the next question. And Dave or Jade, do you guys want to take this one? Yeah, I'll go ahead and take it. Uh, it says, uh, my question is, what is the ALPA's uh, legal team saying about the likelihood of the flow being vo voided by arbitration? Uh, would that leave us right back to square one with little negotiating power to get contractual progression? And that's from F.O. Ben Shelander. Um, we really can't comment on what ALPA believes is going to be uh, the likely outcome in this sort of arbitration uh, because, uh, as Nick may have pointed out earlier, uh, arbitrations are, are wildly uh, unpredictable. So, um, you know, I, I think the Delta MEC believes uh, that they have a strong position and Delta Airlines also believes uh, they have a strong position. But as Nick said earlier, um, going forward should um, the Delta MEC win their arbitration or negotiate out of the flow back and the flow up go away. Um, there's been a precedent set here for guaranteed and contractual career progression so I think so, I think it puts us in a good position going forward trying to get a replacement program should that happen. Yeah I think it's important to remember to everyone that we were on the cusp uh, about 13 months ago of going down to Atlanta and meeting with Delta over guaranteed and contractual career progression and why was that? It's because we were losing 40 pilots a month and we were hiring 20 while we were trying to grow this airline. Um, so those opportunities are probably going to materialize yet again in the future. Um, so regardless of whether this program stays here or not, and especially if it doesn't, uh, we're still very, very well positioned to recapture it in the future. Um, so I think what you said, Dave, is, is spot on. Um, Like to take this one, Jade? Uh, sure. Captain Jake Johnson and FO Dana, why did you agree to slash settle for a contractual career progression that will not apply to anyone hired after a the single after signing, the signing date? Signing date. To me, this comes across that as the opposition for progression for all. What if LOA ninety one? had been applied to the current pilots and all new hires after they had kept the old pay rates plus bonuses. So again, when we're talking about this current LOA, we did not have the ability to change it. That's the big thing people need to understand. This, this is one LOA where we had, this deal was already put in place by the LOA that was before us. So we kind of didn't have the ability to change it. Within that LOA, that LOA states all the pilots currently on property. So that's one of those things where, yeah, that's why we think the ability for the next, as, as Nick and Jane will always tell you, this gives us the next opportunity for negotiations. Uh, with this only being applied to the current pilots, we have to get something for the next pilots. And we see that as our next opportunity at the table. I believe that's going to be the next big opportunity if this continues for a long period of time that we're going to have to
be at the table. I think our management understands that. I think we understand that. Uh, going forward, that's going to be a big opportunity for all of us. Yeah, and I think that it's it bears to mention here that, yes, it does not apply, apply to anyone after the signing date, but that's really more of a, a detriment to the company than it is to us because what do they have to offer um, a new hire pilot while all the pilots currently on the list have a flow? It's the DGI. And as we've seen, the success rates of the DGI could be abysmally low, like in the neighborhood of 50% style low, with an off-the-street percentage rate at Delta being 80%. So it really isn't that kind of carrot, or I should say it's a lackluster carrot, um, that probably is starting to lose its luster. I actually spoke with a recruiter the other day who had said that he had had several people um, at different recruiting events come up to him and say, so what do you have to offer me? And they spoke about the DGI, and he said, yeah, but what else? Because there's a lot of those types of programs. What differentiates you? And right now, we don't have that. And so it's not always about what you achieve in the deal, but what you set yourself up for in the future, and I think we're set up really, really well. Um, our next question comes from Captain Constantine Nit Nitsos. I'm sorry if I just uh, murdered your name. Um, it says, I have less than 10 years. How will this affect how will this affect retiree travel benefits? Will it, okay, there's several questions here. How will this affect retiree travel benefits? So we've confirmed with Jody Douglas and Endeavor HR that as long as you meet the retiree past travel benefits of Endeavor, which is 10 years of service and over the age of 52, if you move on to Delta and you aren't able to meet their requirements, which is 10 years of consecutive service before retirement, you will at least receive Endeavor Pass travel benefits. So if you're 57 years old and you meet Endeavor Pass travel retiree benefits and you move on to Delta, you will at least be given the Endeavor benefits. Um, will I be fully vested with the retirement fund by the time I retire? I'm assuming you're talking about Endeavor. Um, Endeavor has a five-year vesting schedule, um, but with the way that this question is worded, I have to assume that you've been on the property for quite some time and you are probably fully vested at Endeavor. Um, at the Delta level, they have a direct contribution of 16%, which is a little bit different than a 401k match, and they have no vesting schedule. They have no vesting schedule because if you are giving at least 3% to all of your employees, you're considered safe harbor and everybody is, is taking 100% vesting from day one. Um, are there any benefits I would forego with less than 10 years of service? Um, not that I am aware of. Other than the past travel. Other than the past travel, yes. And when will the flow begin? Well, that's part of the discussions that we're going to be having with the company uh, very shortly and before the ratification of this LOA in the implementation phase. Um, we're going to obviously push for the soonest possible class date. Dave, you want to take this one? Yep, sure. Uh, Captain Jeff Brown writes, if I flow to Delta, I will reach age 65 before having 10 years at Delta. My understanding is that I won't have 10 years here or 10 years at Delta, so I won't get flight benefits in retirement. Uh, yeah, Jeff, that's correct. Unfortunately, if you don't reach 10 years, if you don't reach the requirements here before you flow to Delta, which is, uh, like Nick said, age 52 and 10 years, and you don't uh, aren't able to reach those 10 years at Delta, you'll ha you'll have, uh, you won't have past benefits at either, uh, at the retiree level, at either Delta or uh, Endeavor. Jay, do you want to take this one? Yeah, FO. Thomas Gerber, if I interview off the street, am I still eligible for a flow? Well, under the current program, yes, uh, that that is a possibility. So they are they are looking at there could be something in the uh, possibility of a future program where that could eliminate you. 
uh, from possibly going if you do interview off the street and you don't or you are not successful. But under this current program, if you do interview off the street, you off the street, you are still eligible for the flow. If one is invited to interview with Delta and they end up filling the process, are they still eligible to go to Delta? Yeah, that's asking the same question. Yeah. And yeah, and it's still yes. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, let's go to our first phone caller. You're on air with the chair. I don't hear anyone. Did Hello, they, you're did, live. Did they hang up? No. Okay, we'll try the next phone caller. If we missed you, just get back in the queue. You're on air with the chair. Yeah, we did have some people call in uh, very, very early on. So let's, uh, let's go to the next caller. Okay, we'll just keep going with the email questions. Might be having some technical difficulties. No, the, no? The, they're, they're live, they're just not talking. They're live? Let's try another one. Well, Everyone that uh, might be listening on this call or trying to call in, make sure that when, uh, when you hear us, try to come off of mute so that you can uh, talk. You, you will hear a beep on your end. Once you hear the beep, come off mute and be ready to talk. Hello, good evening. How you doing? Oh. We hear somebody. We do. We hear someone. <laughs> can you hear us? You were there. We heard you. You were live. Okay. Let's keep rolling with emails. All right. The next one is from First Officer Bob Lewis. Uh, Bob writes, in reading the LOA, there are 10 paragraphs protecting the rights of Delta pilots, one paragraph addressing the protected status of 10% of our pilots, and one paragraph regarding flow up for a maximum of 20 pilots uh, a month. During any flow down, Delta pilots will displace our pilots to furlough as well as junior positions, including the downgrade of long-term Endeavor captains. Please explain why you believe giving up so much job security and seniority in the event of a Delta furlough benefits our pilot group. He either don't want to flow up or won't even be eligible for years. So, Bob, thank you for the question. And again, I'm going to go back to the survey st statistics that stated very clearly 86% of our pilots wanted guaranteed and contractual career progression. And that was of the most recent survey, uh, which closed in January of this past year. Also coming out of the pandemic, the, those pilots identified the number one strategic objective to be guaranteed and contractual career progression. Number two is job security. Number three is new benefits. Number four is avoiding concessions. So we're actually just creating an agreement that is exactly what the pilot group has asked us to create. Now, let's also talk about the likelihood of a downturn in furlough. Remember, in many respects, a, 
a flow back is really more of a furlough deterrent than it is a job security provision. Because while we might be facing, or Delta, I should say, might be facing, let's say, 2,000 furloughs, it doesn't mean that our entire seniority list is going to be flushed in one single month. Those pilots would still have to come to training here at Endeavor, and not all of them may elect to do so. Um, because there are some freezes that would be attached before they would be able to return to the main line. So if you think it's going to be short-lived, you may be better served to just kind of weather that storm. Um, let's say our training capacity is about 50 per month. You can tell that it's going to take a long time to actually get 2,000 pilots onto our list. So when you start thinking about the risks versus the rewards, um, it really does make sense. And the feedback that we've been receiving thus far has been overwhelmingly positive, but it doesn't mean that there aren't some downsides to the agreement. There absolutely is risk. Um, but just like in any deal, you have to take a look at what the likelihood of the risk is. We know we're absolutely going to be getting a benefit for pilots for as long as this agreement is in place, and it may be in place in perpetuity. We just don't know that yet. And it seems like the upside far outweighs the downside. So thanks for the question, Bob. Hey, Nick, one other point sure. to weigh in on, and that's um, the question of how did we get to the number of 20 a month. Um, that number was codified in the original agreement between Delta and Compass, but as a point of reference, um, when we had the SSP here on the property, it was also 20 pilots a month. That means we move 240 pilots a year. Um, by way of comparison, we often point to Envoy with their flow to American, um, their pilot group is roughly the same size as ours, perhaps just a bit larger, and they are currently flowing roughly 20 pilots per month. Um, so we feel the number 20 has some validity. We have experience with that number. Our experience told us that's probably what Endeavor could afford to train and replace because we fully expect that our pilots um, who are offered job opportunities at other carriers will take them if um, they have to wait longer than they would like in order to flow to Delta. Excellent. All right, well, the, our next question is from John Allen. We're gonna let um, Jade take it, and then maybe we'll go back to try a live call. FO John Allen, do you need a college degree to flow to Delta? Under this agreement, you, there is no gates, like Nick said before, no college degree currently that will be needed. Uh, do you need any PIC part 121 time? Uh, you need to upgrade and complete OE and be a captain at the time that uh, you have to make this decision to flow. So again, when that comes up, you have 45 days to make the decision to flow. And so you have to be a captain at that time to flow. Uh, do you need to be certain, do you need to be under a certain age? Again, no, there is no age requirements. There is no stopgap in that to go straight to Delta. All right, uh, I'll take the next question from uh, First Officer Jason White. Um, says a couple questions here. Uh, will DGI continue? Uh, flow will take three to five years after upgrade where DGI was potentially 18 months. Uh, you'll notice in the agreement that uh, it isn't, uh, DGI isn't referenced anywhere. Uh, that's because it is a company program. They could, the company could choose to run the programs concurrently. Uh, if they choose, uh, that will be up to the company. Uh, so that's uh, going to be probably a better question uh, for you to send to your chief pilot so he, can, uh, he or she can run that up the, uh, the chain and see what the company's plan uh, is in regards to that. Um, why don't we negotiate a staple? Delta is trying to save money now using us to fly cheaper rather than bring us to their pay rates. This fight with Delta, or sorry, the Delta MEC will cost them more in the long run. Seems like they are stepping over a dollar to pick up a quarter. Have you spoken to Delta management about this? 
Uh, again, um, uh, they you know a staple has never come up. Uh, I know there's some rumors on the line about staples, but that 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 hasn't come up. Uh, what we were able to negotiate was the flow through and or sorry the flow up and the flow down, uh, just like you see in the agreement. Uh, staple was never uh, even uh, referenced uh, with uh, either the Delta MEC or uh, Delta Airlines. Yeah, and a staple isn't necessarily cheaper. It's not just the pilots that you have to pay mainline rates. It's going to be the flight attendants. It's going to be the mechanics, and it's going to be the tech ops. It's also going to be the instructors, and it's going to be the dispatchers and the whole nine yards. So a staple isn't necessarily um, always cheaper. Is this what you want me to read, Rob? Yeah. Okay. So for those on the phone line, this is only intended for questions, only not listening to the stream. Please view on YouTube or audio only via Podbean. I'll say it one more time. For those on the phone line, this is only intended for questions, not listening to the stream. Please view on YouTube or audio only via Podbean. Do you guys want to try another live call or do you want to just keep rolling with the emails? Sure, absolutely. All right, uh, this next question is also from uh, Jason White says, it sounds like they offered a mirror to Compass LOA 9. That is correct. To have a better position with arbitration with the inevitable grievance associated with this. Do you expect improvements, i.e. higher numbers per month, extending to new hires, etc.? Well, like any agreement, uh, Jason, when you don't have one in place that is existing at your property, driving that stake in the ground or breaking through that wall first is the toughest challenge. And now that we've done that, incremental improvements um, are always easier to achieve later on. And we are going to look for those opportunities to do that. Um, if we ratify this agreement, that will be LOA 125 in 10 years. That is an LOA a month. You guys have heard me say this a million times. We're the most active bargaining agent inside ALPA. Um, not only do we seek out opportunities, opportunities find us. And so I definitely think there's going to be some chances to be able to uh, improve upon this. Uh, will a list be compiled with yes and no flow choices? This way we can get a better idea or who will flow and who, and who is choosing not to. Yes, as the, as the number starts to get down, um, and this is going to be part of our implementation discussions, as the number starts to get down and we have people that have either selected to go to Delta or selected not to, we're certainly going to keep the pilot group apprised because I know one of the things that you're going to be watching for is how much longer until it reaches me. And that way you guys can also make your decisions on if you want to upgrade when you should upgrade, when you absolutely need to upgrade so that you make sure that the flow doesn't bypass you. Uh, the last part, it says, this agreement still falls short of Propel guys. They can make it in four years. This could take a new hire over eight. You have spoken to management, and even though it's speculation, can you give us their demeanor and insight to future plans with progression? Again, we don't control the Propel or the DGI programs, and I really can't say that a Propel pilot is going to make it in four years. There's a lot of hoops and a lot of gates that they have to, to go through. Of course, that's what they're going to advertise, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what's going to happen. It also, I think it's also important to remember that whether they advertise a Propel to go to Delta in four years or not, a pilot can make it there sooner, even if they're not in the Propel program. They could be uh, in off the street that comes here, gets some 121 experience, and six months later is hired by Delta. Delta does control the right on who they hire and, and when they hire um, to a large extent. So, yes, we're still going to take a look to improve upon this, um, but we have no bearing or say in the DJI or Propel programs. I also don't necessarily think that if we get this for the new hires, it's going to take eight years. You know, the 240, really, we're looking, that at, looking to that as a floor. Management understands the same things that we do, that in order for a, uh, a flow program to be either a good retention or acquisition tool, you've got to get people moving through the list 
as quickly as possible. So eight years probably in this environment doesn't really work for them. So I think that there's some hunger on their side to look for options to improve that. Um, right now, this is kind of a difficult program because it can't apply to new hires, so it's not an acquisition tool. And even as a retention tool here, because of the lack of impermanence uh, that we, because we don't control it in our own JCBA, I don't know that it's going to be a great retention tool. If you have an option at a, a low-cost carrier, or United, or FedEx, or you know UPS, you probably have to seriously take a look at that because we just don't know what's going to happen or the time frame that it's going to happen in. All right, looks like we're going to go back to phone questions. Thank you for putting that slide up there. I appreciate it. We got one caller in the queue. Let's go ahead. Yes, my name is Jason, and I had a question regarding the flow in terms of, so Nick mentioned that people who went to the DGI, SSP, and others um, who would be would be eligible for the flow. However, Dave mentioned that in the exclusions, that uh, in that laundry list of items, I saw that anyone previously unsuccessful in either interview PRB or the or return from Delta would be barred from participating. So I wanted to have a clarification on that. Absolutely, Dave. Since you've covered that, you want to clarify it? Yeah, that sounds good, Jason. Thanks for the question. Uh, th these are two separate programs that we were talking about. Uh, Nick was briefing about the flow, which does have uh, doesn't have any exemptions. Uh, the only two requirements are that you be a captain and been with the airline for 30 months. Uh, what I was referencing to was the uh, career advancement plan, which was uh, what the company was wanting to use for potential new hires, but we just couldn't, we didn't end up coming to a deal on just due to timing. Uh, that uh, company's initial proposal on, on that program had those exclusions. Okay, excellent. So um, that makes sense. Thanks very much for the answer. Yep, no problem. You're welcome. Any more callers in the queue? Nope. Okay. Let's keep moving with uh, emails. Jade, you, you would you like to take this one? Sure, Nick. Uh, this is from FO Charles Stein. Can you please expand on the flow upgrade requirements? I am a, I am a, I think that's a, FO, 900 FO in Minneapolis and have the seniority to upgrade, but due to the quality of life, I'm currently staying in FO. Is there a time requirement in the position as a captain before flowing? No, you just have to upgrade. That's the, the big thing here. So before you get to that number, you I wouldn't wait till the last minute is, is what I've been telling people is don't wait and try to play the game is how late do, do I stay and wait to upgrade because you don't know, again, the groups and numbers and who's going to bypass before you. You have to upgrade and complete OV and still have, you have that 45 days after your flow number comes up. So you don't want to play it too close, but you just have to complete OE before you uh, make that choice and have that ability to flow. So don't play it too close, but you do have to be a captain to be able to upgrade and flow. Thank Thanks. you for the question. Excellent. Dave, you want to take this one? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, this is from uh, Captain Cameron Haven. Uh, he asks, uh, will those who received a no during a DGI or SSP interview be allowed to flow before those who have never been given a no from a Delta interview? Yeah, there's uh, it, uh, just receiving a no during a DGI or SSP doesn't re, uh, rearrange where you are in the seniority list when it comes to the flow through. Uh, so you'll still uh, flow in the same order as if, some, as if somebody who hasn't even interviewed through the DGI or SSP. 
Uh, and the next question is, what if I could get to Delta quicker with the DGI? Is that option gone and now I'd have to wait for my flow time? Again, Cameron, uh, we, uh, I think, answered that question um, uh, a little bit ago. But, um, that again, that the DGI is a contractual program, and um, the company is going to have to make a decision as to whether they continue uh, that program or not. But one thing I do want to make clear is there, uh, in this agreement, uh, we made no prohibition uh, against the DGI. Uh, we didn't put anything in the agreement that said the DGI must go away. Um, that is up to the company, and they could choose to run it concurrently. Um, uh, whether they do or not is anybody's guess, uh, but I, I, I urge you to reach out to the chief pilots uh, so that they can start gathering those questions for the senior leadership and then they can get those questions answered for you. Very good. Our next question comes from Captain Brian Cowell. I think we know him, don't we? I think I know yeah, this guy. Yeah, we've, yeah we've met a just a little times. bit. So with this agreement, we are still only guaranteed 109 dual-class aircraft. Was there any talk about having the 35 aircraft that Delta wants relief from to be brought to Endeavor to guarantee future jobs, making our commi commitment from Delta to have 144 dual-class aircraft? Brian, this is a great question. So again, armed with the survey results, career progression number one, job security number two. And so of course, we tried to expand the fleet guarantee, not just in duration, but in quantity. One of the things that the um, the company spoke heavily about uh, as far as their laundry list of asks for the contract modifications was we need this relief because we need to stay competitive. We want to grow the airline. We want to be a bigger partner in the DCI network, all of which sounds great. But if you're essentially making us a pitch, uh, a Jets for Jobs pitch, you're going to have to also bring the Jets to the property. And when we countered with an increase in our fleet guarantee, that was rejected. And so we said, you know, it kind of makes it a little difficult to agree to any type of contractual modifications that helps grow this airline if you're not going to secure the jets um, that we're trying to get uh, in our certificate. It was also a little bit difficult, too, because there really wasn't any clear answer um, if the flow program were to have ever gone away, uh, what would happen with the contract modifications. The company's original answer was, well, we'll just snap everything back, including the concessions. And we said, well, that really doesn't work because there might be some people that were able to take advantage of the flow program and some people that won't, yet everybody had given um, some contractual relief. So we had some pretty intense discussions over those two points. And ultimately, Brian, what we ended up doing is in the contract extension, we said if we're going to extend the contract, we have to extend the bridge agreement. We won't ask for any more, but we want to make sure that we at least have the same duration, primarily for those pilots that don't necessarily want to take advantage of the flow and finish their careers out here at Endeavor. They have the job security to be able to do just that. Um, Jade. Yeah, Daniel Wilson. I'm a big fan of the high-level communication coming out of this and uh, 9 MEC. You guys uh, are operating at another level of professionalism compared to previous councils. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Uh, let's see if there's part two. Two, does they have a question? <laughs> Is this MEC currently working, uh, working on a fallback plan uh, that would be provided contractually career progression separate from scope? Yeah, you know, that's what we're talking about, this cap plan. That was what... Dave was briefing on earlier, and it's been in the works. Um, and, and like Nick said, kind of like day two, I don't know, it was kind of all jumbled up on day one, day two, day three of negotiations. It all <laughs> kind of fell together. I like to say it was day two. But again, this all, we, we could have done a quick deal or a long deal with a bunch of different uh, models tied together, but we couldn't do it all in once. So with that being said, the cap that they were looking at was that I don't want to say fallback plan, but I think it's the next deal. 
I, yeah. I think it's going to be the next plan. I, it, I never want to say it's a fallback plan because I think that is the plan. It wasn't a fallback plan. I think that's the one Nick's been p pitching for how long you been here? 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> I had to do it to him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it, it, Nick's been pitching for a long time. And, and that is the plan that has been in place and, and been thrown at the company for a long time. So I wouldn't consider a fallback plan, but I think that's the one that's going to be the next plan. Is like I The comms guys are going to get mad at you if you keep banging on the table like that, just FYI. Sorry, I'm Italian. That happens. That's why they put the <laughs> sheet here. It's because my Italian comes out every now and then. Yeah, the... So certainly, we, you know, when we talked about the negotiating opportunity for career progression last year, um, we believe that this this CAP program was probably what they were going to pitch us. Um, and if this career progression plan, or I should say flow, I mean that's what it is. If this flow ever were to cease to exist here, we think that that's what's they're, what they're going to come back with. However, again, the standard has already been set now with an unfettered all-access flow, and so that's going to make things a little bit more challenging on their side. But yes, we. We do think that some type of guaranteed and contractual career progression system is going to have to stay in place for the pilots of Endeavor Air from here on out. Um, Dave, you want to take this one? Yeah, this is from Captain Tom Decker. Uh, do we lose our positive space passes that we earned at Endeavor if when we flow, if they aren't used? Uh, no, Tom, uh, we have confirmed that they will move uh, with, uh, with you on the Delta, uh, just as if you left the company um, uh, on good terms. Uh, otherwise, uh, it's stated in the FAQ for the Delta difference passes that if you leave the company on good terms, uh, there's a process for you to use those passes in the future after you've left the company. Uh, that doesn't change uh, with you flowing the Delta. Those will also move with move with you to Delta. Excellent. The next uh, question is from Captain Adam Cohen. I guess I should check. Do we have any uh, call-in questions? We have four call-in questions. Do you, let's, uh, let's go ahead and take some call-in questions now. Adam, we'll come right back to your uh, email question. Good evening. Hello. Good evening. My name is Joe Walker. I'm a 200 NASCAR out of Detroit. And I got a question about how this 20 a month is is structured mainly i my understanding is that's 20 a month but only months that delta hires is that correct that is correct if delta is not hiring then there would not be any obligation to send pilots however if they are hiring the agreement requires that endeavor pilots take the first 20 in each class Okay, so I got I'm I'm a fairly junior guy, and I'm thinking if if the perfect math shows four years to flow, reality might be they hire half the time, and it turns into to eight years, um, which I think is somewhat envoy's experience. Is that I mean I'm not against it; it's awesome. But is that is that a realistic thing to look at? Well, they're going to hire half the time, or two thirds of the time, or something like that. Yeah, it's hard to say because we're not in control of Delta hiring requirements. Um, as you can see, this industry can stop on a dime, but they have indicated, um, you know, even publicly, that they need to put as many pilots into class as they can. Um, they had a lot of people take their VOPS, which is the, the voluntary early out program. Um, they've got a lot of training to do, and they've got a lot of backfilling to do. So there doesn't seem to be any indications that they're only going to be hiring uh, half the time. It looks like they're going to be hiring consistently. The other problem with trying to stack your hiring, let's say in an every other month situation, um, is it really isn't a good use of your, your SIM resources because you're going to have kind of waves of coming of people coming in and out. 
Um, so it's not as efficient to put, you know, 100 people every other month or 50 people every month. It's easier to do 50 people every month. So I wouldn't worry uh, too much about that. If they do stop hiring, it's probably because some sort of macro level event happened again and they're going to take a pause. Okay. All right. So they're not going to go every other month on us, but, you know, they might. we might slow for two years and then they might have enough pilots for a couple of years because there's been a recession or something and it gets put on, but on hold for a while. Yeah, sure. That's always a possibility. But keep in mind, even with a recession, there are still mandatory retirements that are occurring that are hundreds of pilots every single year. So there is still going to be some need to backfill that regardless. All right. Absolutely. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good evening. Hello. Hey, Nick. This is John Marking, uh, FO 900 Atlanta. Hey, John. How you doing? Not bad. Um, first of all, thanks for all the work y'all have been doing. We do appreciate it. Um, one of the questions I had, is this going to go to membership ratification or is this going to be voted on by the MEC? Sure. Dave, you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. John, thanks for the question. Um, you know, there's, like you just stated, there's two paths that a um, that an airline, or sorry, that the MEC can take when it comes to uh, membership or, or, or ratifying a TA. Uh, most times that goes through an MEC ratification. Uh, but there are times when an MEC can um, push the, uh, an agreement out to a membership ratification. Uh, so what we're doing with this process is we're mirroring what we did during LOA 71, which was uh, via LOA 71 and ultimately just went to an MEC ratification. Uh, but we did something we didn't typically do with MEC ratification items, which was um, we went out to road shows. We went out. We wanted to listen to what the pilots' feedback. Uh, was uh, on that agreement, and we're doing the same thing here uh, with this all-pilot call right now, the podcast that uh, Nick is, uh, uh, did uh, earlier and will be releasing, uh, as well, all the reps are in all the domiciles this week, and uh, officers will be joining them starting tomorrow, uh, so there's going to be coverage in New York, Atlanta, uh, Detroit, um, Minneapolis, uh, and we're going to listen to the feedback that we receive at that time. And then uh, the MEC, uh, uh, after that, will make a determination whether it's going to go to a membership ratification or an MEC ratification, just pure, you know, based solely on what they're hearing from the pilots that they encounter um, during, the, uh, uh, during the crew room visits. Okay, so would you say next week or the week after that, there'd be kind of the plan on whether it's going to just be the MEC ratification or memorandum? Yeah, I mean, I think at, at the you know uh, pro probably at the latest you'll you'll hopefully uh, hear something uh, from um, the MEC uh, next week as to whether uh, they ratified or they plan to send it out for a membership ratification. Okay, I appreciate it. Yep, no problem, John. Thanks. Good evening. Hey, are you there? Yes, we're here. How you doing? Hi, it's Jackie. <laughs> Minneapolis captain bouncing back and forth between Minneapolis and New York. And I just have a question. Well, first of all, thank you for all the work that you've done. I'm really proud of you, not just for representing the, well, not just representing, um, but pushing for the people that want progression, but um, keeping everyone in mind, like DGI and Propel and all the way down to people that haven't even hired yet here. I'm impressed with the CAP that you um, were just mentioning earlier. And also, in the in the process of moving everybody forward so quickly and, and all the movement that is happening upon us in such a rush of time, I'm wondering if there's anything in place to keep the instructors here. Are you going to have anything in place where they would receive like a Delta um, seniority number, but yet 
defer their training so that they could stay here and we don't lose our structure in the training department because I imagine that um, this might be an issue if we're hiring so quickly. Well, I'm going to turn this question over to our resident FTI, Jade Shiwi, and he'll be able to answer it for you fully, Jackie. Thanks. Oh, hello, Jackie. Yeah, so the only program they currently have is what is within the LOA, and that's the 90-day. That 90-day window, they can hold up to 90 days. They can hold anybody uh, for that 90 days, and then they have to flow them at that point. Anything after that um, would have to be negotiated with Delta and the Delta MEC and Endeavor and Endeavor MEC, and that is not on the table at this current time. Um, again, that would have to be a four-party deal. And that, again, they know that there's a need and there's going to be a need, but that is not on the table at this time. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie. Good evening. How you doing? I'm good. Captain Matthew Laviola here. I just uh, wanted to thank all of you uh, guys and uh, Jane as well. Appreciate uh, all your hard work. Uh, bringing this great opportunity to the property here, I think it is, it is good. It's um, well, it's been a long time since we've had uh, such a such a great opportunity like this. So I think it's good in that regard. Question: um, Did you guys um, or any of you happen to see or hear of any indication, you know, prior to the demise of Compass? that Delta had an interest in either extending the agreement to additional new hires or, or the longevity of the agreement on the Compass on the Compass property. Did you guys hear anything along those lines? No, we heard nothing about that, uh, about any plans that uh, Delta or Compass or the Delta MEC had prior to uh, Compass shutting its doors April of, uh, I think it was, what, 2020? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we had no indications or information um, of that. And Thomas Vanderberg, their their MEC chair, um, on the last day that Compass was around, actually is in our Minneapolis offices. And you know, certainly, if any information was like that, uh, it would it certainly would have been shared. Um, so we no, we heard nothing about that. Okay, no, I just uh, was curious what their. Um, I, I know Delta does have a goal of getting uh, more aircraft uh, operating, and. Um, that kind of goes into my next point uh, or, or question. Um, considering the likely hiring environment going forward, and um, I don't know, I view the structure of our airline, that is Endeavor Airlines, as, as being um, an asset, like you mentioned earlier, to Delta for making this uh, as streamlined as possible to, to happen, like you were saying. Um, but being that we're extending the amendable dates, isn't that in essence giving them, I mean, not necessarily a concession, but, you know, uh, you're, you're giving them something, can we do better with, and then of course, in, 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 in the, uh, you know, effort of trying to keep things streamlined, as you were saying earlier, can we do any more with rates, current rates on the board, um, on, you know, uh, additionally, you know, for people that may consider staying and then of course not to mention to make it more attractive on, uh, on the new hire side of things can there be any more work done on that sure absolutely so you know when you think of amendable date a lot of pilots look at that amendable date as a great negotiating opportunity and so 
when you do a contract extension like this, one of the first questions or you know, gut, kind of gut check uh, reality moments that a lot of pilots have is, is this deal good enough because when are we gonna have another opportunity? What I would actually focus you back on is in 2013, we signed LOA 33, that was the bankruptcy agreement. Um, and in that agreement, we signed a seven year deal, I think all the way out to 2020. We heard a lot of the same concerns. Are we gonna have another opportunity, another bite at the apple to improve this contract? In 2018, five years after we did LOA 33, we did LOA 91. So we went from 33 to 91 in five years. And we took a temporary retention program at that LOA and we turned it into a permanent rate that catapulted the first officers 45% ahead of the industry and ca uh, captains 25% ahead of the industry. We also did a contract extension at that point, which brought us to our current amendable date of 2024. And we heard a lot of the same concerns. Is this going to be good enough? Are we gonna have any other uh, opportunities? And here we are after signing that agreement in 2018, three years later, uh, not even a full three years later, and we're at a LOA potentially 125. I think the point that I'm trying to make is the amendable date really hasn't ever meant anything to us in terms of contractual improvements. Doing the deal that makes sense, unlocking those mutual benefits and synergies, um, that is what is going to get you um, the incremental improvements that our pilots have enjoyed at Endeavor uh, for the last several years. So that really has been our focus and, and really is going to be our focus in the future. Yes, I do think that there's going to be opportunities to improve the pay rates. Um, career progression is the next step that Delta has to do to stay competitive in the pilot labor market. But when that proves not to be enough, where do you go from there? You know, is it uh, a staple? Is it an integration? Is it pay rates? Is it bonuses? Is it contractual improvements? Is it a combination of all thereof? So I think that the most important thing to focus on is we will have that opportunity in the future. Just because it doesn't present itself to us today doesn't mean that this isn't the right deal for our pilots. I, and I, I don't disagree with you, uh, nor do I, uh, you know, uh, I understand all the LOAs that have come down the road, and, and of course, um, where I'm going with the amendable date, though, is, is you know, I think it presents, uh, and I know, the contract is a living document, right? I mean, you're constantly you're making improvements to it. But I just think, uh, not just think, but I think potentially there, there might be room here to, or in the, in the, in the leverage, to make an attempt at seeing what you can do with rates. That's all. Um, that's all I'm saying, and I understand that you can do it in the future. I understand how the LOA process works, and I also understand that you guys have done a great job along those lines. But there's a cost savings for, an, uh, for extending an amendable date to the company. Well, I, I, don't, it kind I don't of know that there's a cost savings. For, there's a stability uh, that they gain from it, and there's a peace of yeah, mind of knowing that, that, yeah, too. I agree. That, that it's there. But, you know, the cost savings really comes in in the fact that a flow program will lower our longevity. But it's really hard to argue that we need a flow program, but then we also want to charge you for that flow program. Uh, that probably isn't going to be well received by the other side to do something like that. So I understand why you know the rates are, are certainly the focus. Uh, keep in mind that as far as rates are concerned, we were locked in through, and I, I do mean the word through, January 1st, 2024. So really, we wouldn't be owed any type of rate improvement until January 1st, 2025. So even locking this in um, through 2029, 
I think that when you take a look at the number of, like I said, LOAs and bargaining that we had, we're going to have opportunities to improve the rates. They just, it wasn't available right here. So the deal that's available here is a flow, flow back agreement, a contract extension with escalators that guarantees our contract won't stagnate, and job security through enhancement of the bridge program, or bridge agreement, excuse me. And one thing let me touch on, Nick, to what you said is, uh, you know, uh, everything in this industry is about timing. Uh, you stated that our original amendable date was in 2020 uh, before we did um, uh, LOA 91. Um, could you imagine if we were in Section 6 in 2020? Um, uh, it, it, you know, everything is about timing. The company would have saved money because we would have been stagnant without any raises uh, for several years. This is what the Delta MEC is going to be going through right now, as well as a couple other, I think, the big three are all well, in Section 6 uh, right now, and uh, and they're not going to be making massive improvements uh, because the airlines aren't making any money. Uh, so they're holding off their active bargaining until um, their properties are, are, are profitable again. Okay. Well, no, I, I just wanted to, to just throw that out there because I it's, it's, it sounds to me that there might be more leverage than you guys – thinking but but you know maybe maybe not and and uh i understand going forward economically right now it's it's you know everybody's playing catch up of course um and we're all you know rolling the dice of course in this career going forward that it's you know it's moving forward and not backwards that's the whole point of this agreement but all right you guys have a good evening i appreciate your time i just wanted to throw that out there absolutely thank, thank you, you so much that was the last call? All right. Rob, did you want me to make a little announcement on that? Okay, sure. So um, just kind of an FYI for everyone on the call, please be understanding. Um, we're getting a lot of questions that are coming in, and we're doing our best to keep the call as efficient as possible. So what we're doing is we're eliminating the duplicate questions. Um, a lot of these questions are going to be the same re regarding past travel retiree benefits and things like that. So if we don't specifically answer your question or you don't hear your name called, again, just Take a look at this live stream. It will be posted on YouTube. Um, you'll be able to watch a recording of it, and we'll make sure that we answer your question. And if for some reason your question is missed, you can always get a hold of us uh, afterwards. Um, let's throw us a dart. Yes, thank you, David Takahashi. Um, let's go back to the email question from Captain Adam Cohen. Um, with regards to retirement pass travel benefits and the four or more awarded positive space travel passes. Oh, no, we're not doing that. Have we done that one? Okay, we'll keep moving on. Um, Jade, would you like to do this one? Yeah, Captain Tim Brady and Steve Camp. I've read numerous articles quoting Delta CEO Ed Bashan saying, any person joining Delta in the future will be mandated to get vaccinated before they can sign up with the company. I read through the TA and this did not come up. Is Endeavor Pilot Group exempt from this new mandate? No, we are not exempt. Again, this is one of those things where at Delta, they require you to be vaccinated with certain vaccines. This is just one of those new requirements. Uh, they, I believe it's the yellow fever. Uh, the yellow fever is one of those other vaccines. Again, we didn't have this in this agreement also, but it's one of those vaccines. You will have to be vaccinated uh, for the COVID vaccine if you are, as stated by uh, Ed. So if you are going to move up, that is one thing you do have to consider, along with the yellow fever vaccine and any other vaccines they do come out and require. We don't have control over that. So that is something to consider. All right. Thanks, Jade. I'll handle the next one. It's an email question from Captain Dave Poff. 
Uh, if someone flows the Delta and subsequently the LOA gets canceled in arbitration, what happens to the people that have already flowed the Delta? Do they st stay at Delta? Would they be on the street because the LOA is no longer active so they can't come back here? Um, no, as of uh, the class state at Delta, you become a Delta pilot uh, governed by the Delta PWA. Uh, so you'll remain at Delta should the arbitration, um, uh, should uh, um, our uh, flow LOA um, go away due to uh, the flow up, flow down provision going away. Uh, so you would just remain on the, uh, on the list at Delta. Yeah, and you also, um, if you were to fail out of training after the LOA had expired or um, you know, an arbitrator had ruled unfavorably and we, we didn't have that program, you would still be protected under the original terms of the LOA because that LOA was governing you. So um, no, you wouldn't just automatically be in no man's land or purgatory. Um, Jay, do you want to take the next question? Sure, I'll take the next one. Uh, Kenneth Romano, Captain Kenneth Romano, explains, can you explain the flow process for a person on TVLOA that is already... L LT. 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 Sorry. LTLOA that is already a captain, please. Uh, Kenneth, again, with this flow process, you will have to come back and get qualified as an active pilot before your flow date and give yourself those 45 days to make that decision. So you have to be active off the LTLOA before your number comes up. So you're going to have to make that decision when to come back again. Don't play it close, like we stated earlier, with the same kind of decision-making process with the FO trying to upgrade. Uh, make sure you come back in plenty of time to get your training done and be on that active process. All right, we have another question from uh, Stephen Camp. Stephen writes, uh, my question is, if we choose to flow, how does the pay work during training? So if I am currently at $127 per hour, do I maintain that rate until passing OE, or do we get a pay cut from the first day of training? Just like any other new hire at Delta, you will be subjected, subjected to their rules and pay. So you will be on training pay at Delta until completion of OE, at which point in time you would be on first year pay um, until your completion of uh, your first year, which is, I think, Dave, same, same in every aircraft, isn't it? Like it is, 91 yes. 91 or 92 an hour. Yeah. Um, so yes, and then you would just be moving up the longevity scale there. So thanks for that question, Steve. This next question is from Cap Captain Benton Beasley. Uh, Captain Beasley writes, uh, Russ has expressed that the flow will only apply to current pilots and will discontinue the DGI, which is the company's discretion. I'm not aware that that has been officially announced by the company or anyone inside the company. Um, however, he also expresses that new hires will not be covered by the flow, which is true, and will fall back under the DGI. Um, there has been some indications by the company that they do plan on continuing to offer the DGI, but again, we're not, we're not really sure of that because we don't control that. This actually means, though, that a good number of new hires will have a good possibility of going to Delta before Endeavor Flow pilots. If a new hire after the TA upgrades in two years, then spends 18 months as a captain, will get a DGI interview before many of our flow pilots that could take seven years. How is this deal fair to anyone other than Delta in getting their 35 planes back? Not quite sure how you're coming up with those metrics. Certainly, we'll, we'll speak with the company on that, uh, Benton. Um, please keep in mind that uh, just because you upgrade and spend 18 months as a captain, that may make you DGI eligible under the current terms, but that does not necessarily mean you're going to move at that point in time. 
as we saw previously in the pandemic, there were uh, two pools that were accruing. There was an interview pool and then there was an actual movement pool. And that is uh, kind of one of the, um, I don't want to say misnomers, but uh, misleading aspects of the DGI is that they say that you can upgrade in, let's say, 18 months or two years and spend 18 months as a captain and boom, there's your DGI. Well, that, again, depending upon the rates of interviews and the rates of movement, uh, it could actually be a lot longer than that. So thanks for the question, uh, Benton. And also on this one, don't sure. forget that the flow takes those first priority within the classes at Delta. So even if you have a DGI guy, and this could be, again, with the current DGI CGOs that are sitting there, that we're not talking about this, this is talking about future, um, DGI and the possibility of this that Benton's talking about, th these new hires would have to wait for, again, our flow, those DGIers would have to wait for our flow guys to take those 20, 20 numbers, 20 seats, and then decide what's going to happen. And one thing to keep in mind that I didn't touch on in the company's cap proposal that they did propose uh, was that uh, anybody going through the cap would go after all pilots under uh, from a, after uh, all pilots from another program? So my guess is that with the DGI, what they would do for the new hires is it would they would say uh, flows would have to go before DGIs mm -hmm. would be eligible to go. It was something that they were already contemplating with having separate programs, and so I'm sure they're going to want to continue um, that sort of thing with any future programs. All right, our uh, next question is also from Cap Captain Benton Beasley. Do you want to take this one, Dave? Yep, sure. Uh, Captain Benton Beasley writes, this should be progression for all, but it requires you to be a captain. What about pilots that can only hold a second-class medical so they can't be captain and still want the opportunity to be a Delta FO? I bet, yeah, uh, so the, um, the agreement uh, mandates that you have to meet certain, uh, certain eligibility requirements at Delta to be able to go to Delta. Um, and one of them is to, uh, in order to be hired at Delta, you're, you're required to hold a first-class medical. So they don't hire anybody off the street uh, that even can hold a second-class medical. Uh, you're required to hold a first-class medical before even moving up to Delta, and that's through the DGI off the street or any other program that they currently have. All right, we have another question anonymously. If a current 90 pilot flows up, are there eligible are they eligible to flow back down into endeavor should there be another indu industry downturn again it's that uh, 90 percent can flow back and we have the 10 percent protected uh, pilots that would be so as long as they flow down and they choose to again if you're one of those that get furloughed you can choose to come to endeavor you would have to make the choice and we would have to be within that 90 percent for that eligibility for that pilot to flow down and hold that spot all right, and next, another anonymous uh, text question. Has the company slash Delta thought about changing slash increasing the top end of the pay scale and or rate for the more senior pilots, creating more of an incentive for them to stay versus potentially having them struggling with a decision that may not be the best long-term for those who may retire in the next five to 10 years? Certainly the, the senior contingent of the pilot group is in a, a very challenging uh, uh, position, right? Because we know that the ROI at Delta is typically in most cases about three years, give or take, depending upon each person's position, whether you're an FTI and you're on a higher guarantee, whether you pick up open time. But, you know, typically um, it's about three years. So economically speaking, if you've got more than three years to go, it definitely makes sense from a finance standpoint to take that leap. However, do you want to upend your life? 
you know, go back down to bottom reserve, go back to commuting, not hold weekends off, those sorts of things. So it is definitely a very difficult decision. As far as, you know, possibly a senior pilot override, one of the things that we had counter-proposed in some of our quids for the contract modifications that were sought by the company was a specific override in which if you decided not to take the flow program, you would be given a higher hourly rate uh, across the board. So that was one of the things that we had taken a look at to try to kind of protect those senior pilots that chose not to flow. Um, ultimately, again, all the contract modifications were removed on the company side, so we ended up having to remove on ours on our side in order to streamline the process, and we have the deal that is uh, before us today. But we did actually try to accomplish that. Dave, you want this one? Yeah, sure. This is a text from an uh, anonymous person. It says, also, do training seat locks carry a penalty for eligibility? Uh, in the flow agreement, they do not. I know those were restrictions, I believe, in the um, in the DGI, and I believe the SSP had some restrictions also for a pilots on a training freeze, uh, but the flow does not have a restriction for that. Uh, so if you are in a uh, training freeze or a category freeze, you are eligible to flow um, regardless of that. All right, looks like we're going to turn it back over to the phone questions. we got three callers in the queue. Good evening. Uh, hello. Hello. You're live. Hey, how you doing? This is uh, George Giovanini. Yeah, uh, George Giovanini, Captain Atlanta. Um, thank you very much for what you're doing and uh, uh, communication you're establishing with us. My question is, I'm one of the guys that took the long-term leave of absence, and I'm in the process of coming back. Uh, my question is, the 30 months, does that include all the years of service that I had in the company, or is it something that starts the countdown the day that I st uh, I, I'm re back in recurrent training and back in the, on the line? George, this is your total service. So this is from your data hire till now. So it's not from the time you were out on your leave. So total service um, is what is counted. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys, and uh, I appreciate your, uh, your help. Thank you. No hey, problem. Take care. Fill more callers? Okay. We'll keep moving on with the email questions. Uh, the next one uh, is from First Officer Keegan Christensen. Uh, the wording in the last paragraph of the TA seems to imply that the agreement will be in place so, as lo so, as, so long as Delta can operate 223 large RJs. Assuming for this question that Delta reaches an agreement with the Delta MEC to operate the extra 35 airplanes, but in the future agrees to an RJ scope reduction below 223 with the Delta MEC for an unrelated issue, would that nullify the flow? The way the paragraph reads seems to imply that the flow is in place as long as Delta can operate 223 large RJs, but null if that number ever dips below. Similar to the wording that is currently de being debated in the Delta MEC's LOA 9. So first, Keegan, uh, thank you for the question. Um, Excellent question. Really what is in um, dispute right now is those 35 RJs. It really is kind of binary. This isn't a dispute over one or two aircraft. It is a dispute over operating those 35. Now, the other portion of it, though, is this agreement is tied to the Delta PWA. And that's not something that necessarily excited us at the Endeavor MEC level. Um, and it is something that we tried to unsuccessfully have removed, but it is tied to the Delta PWA. So if at some point in the future, there is a change inside the Delta PWA scope or a change to the flow up flow back provisions. Yes, there could be some modifications to the program. Jane, is there anything else that you'd like to highlight as part of, as far as that question is concerned? No, I think what you said was exactly right. Okay. 
Uh, Dave, you want to take this one? Yep. Um, part three of Keegan's question is, uh, when is the first new hire class expected to start with flow eligible candidates? Um, that is uh, something we're talking with the company about actively uh, this week and next week uh, is going to be part of the uh, implementation uh, schedule of the uh, LOA. We hope to have some more information for uh, both the MEC and the pilots on that, uh, hopefully by the end of next week. All right, our next question is from Captain Mark Rassler. Mark writes, a year ago when Delta announced the phasing out of the 200 fleet, one of the concerns is that we might lose 40-ish jets worth of flying in the future. What, if any, updates do you have regarding this issue? Uh, further, one of the concerns is that we currently have a contract agreement for 109 jets worth of flying with Delta. What are the odds that we see the number of contractual jets increasing? Well, of course, we always want to increase the number, the quantity of contractual flying that we have. Um, getting any type of single class aircraft on our certificate, um, excuse me, on our uh, bridge agreement is going to be difficult because of the volatility of it. But we have seen a resurgence of the 200 uh, shortly after the expected demise, which how many times have we seen that in the industry? Mm -hmm. um, and we've gone from 40-ish jets to just over 50-ish jets. And there could even be some room for uh, further increases in, in that brand and product. And again, as far as the dual class, we're going to continue to beat on that drum of job security provisions because we know that that's what it provides you to. In other words, increasing the quantity of the fleet guarantee. That will remain one of the strategic objectives of the MEC because it's one of the strategic objectives of our pilot group. So Mark, thank you for uh, the first part of your question. Um, second part of the question, uh, Jade, you want this one? Oh, what if anything are you hearing for the return of New York flying? Do you foresee any 200 flying in LaGuardia? or increased flying out of JFK? Well, we've heard that there's gonna be increased flying out of New York. Uh, I've, and I think what I've understood, and I'll clarify with my colleagues over here, that the 200 flying that would be out of New York would be ran out of other domiciles. It's not going to be a base that will be a 200 base out of New York, that they'll run it out of one of the other 200 bases in, whether it be Detroit, or Atlanta and route it through one of those two bases and see the flying out of there. Now they are expecting a large increase in New York flying and to see the flying and flight hours increase dramatically over the next several months uh, versus what it has been in the last couple months and that will be um, going forward is what they expect. I think they said back up to about 85% of what the flying was over the next several months is what they expect New York to get back to. Um, as far as the 200 again, I don't expect the 200 base to be back out in New York anytime soon, but they said, again, if there's going to be any 200 flying, they'll route it through uh, 200, uh, the 200 flying from Detroit or Atlanta. Yeah, and I have, um, before you continue on to the next part of the question, I've spoken to Jay Furnish, who's the company's VP on network planning when it comes to this, uh, especially on the 200 flying in JFK and LaGuardia. Uh, they've specifically gone back to Delta to ask them to remove that flying uh, because it is uh, very inefficient, and uh, then they're required to carry parts out in New York. Uh, so um, they've got a commitment from Delta to not increase the 200 flying uh, more than they already have over there. Um, so don't, I wouldn't expect to see any more 200 flying in JFK and LaGuardia are greater than there currently is. Yeah, and just when we think of 200 bases never coming back, guess what happens? I mean, look at Minneapolis, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would, yeah. Um, I'll take the second part of Mark's question. Will, will we have to wear hats after the signing of this TA? Uh, the answer is no. 
And in a previous podcast, there were discussion of uniform changes or modifications, specifically fall, winter, spring coats or jackets. Any updates? We actually don't have any updates at this point in time. All right. Uh, Jay, do you want to take this one? Uh, right. F.O. Ryan Hillard. What about the bridge agreement and the language that no other carrier may have better progression? So I think what you're asking here is uh, the current Me Too clause yes. is, is what that was going for. And when we're looking at the Me Too clause, again, uh, when we were looking at that specifically, when they were offering this to other airlines, as Nick was stating, I think this is where you're going with it, I'm not sure. Um, the other airlines they were offering it to may not have been a flow up, flow down. Uh, if they offered it to SkyWest or Republic, it may not have been a flow, it may have been a flow down provision, but it may have been not a flow up provision. So they might not have been the same offer as we're getting here. And so there may not have been a Me Too clause to go with that. Yeah, their position was they were going to find another way to execute LOA 9 without the flow up provision because then we would have nothing to Me Too because they were very well aware of that Me Too clause. Now, whether they could have actually pulled that off or not, that's a whole other story. But that was their that was their position. I believe that's where he was going with yeah, that. Yeah, I think that that's exactly yeah. what it was. Um, Dave, you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. This is an email question from First Officer Manuel Angulo. Um, asks, if this flow is void, would the DGI continue where it left off? Again, DGI being a company program, there's no telling what the company would do uh, should uh, uh, our contractual career progression go away. Uh, my guess is they would, uh, we would go back to the table and try and uh, negotiate something uh, as a replacement program and replace uh, the flow uh, instead of reverting back to the DGI. Jay, do you want this one or would you like me to take it? I'll let you take this one. Okay. Our next uh, question is from Captain Glenn Belding. Uh, will we need to have an up-to-date logbook? I'm assuming you're talking about an up-to-date logbook when you proceed to Delta. Um, and I would imagine that any instructor, Jay, would like to see an up-to-date logbook with currency at least. Well, um, that would be my It depends. Guess. You're already typerated, so I don't know what the requirements are. Sure. So that's more of an ATP requirement from our standpoint, right, because you're for a qualification. So for their training agreement, they have our training record. So that'd be something that I would like to get uh, further clarification before we truly answer that, because we're not taking anything as need for a qualification up to Delta. Sure. So. Because we all have ATPs already. Yeah, we all have ATPs already. So uh, as far as the qualification standpoint, our standpoint, we're already all qualified. Sure. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if there's a true need. I think we would have to reach out to Delta. That was an HR requirement. And now that we don't have that HR interview, Nick, I don't know. Okay. So I would like to reach out and we'd have to ask Russ and his team to actually get a clarification if that's gonna need to happen. Excellent. Well, the next one is a text from Captain David Janney and he texts, can Jane comment on the arbitration process and how the settlement process works? Is it just struck down or approved or can the judge make the sides meet in the middle? Jane, would you like to answer the question? I'd be happy to. <laughs> um, an arbitrator only has the official jurisdiction to make a finding um, as to whether a contract violation has or has not occurred. In other words, if the Delta MEC were to prevail, the arbitrator will have found that Delta violated the collective bargaining agreement with Delta Alpha. Um, 
conversely, if the arbitrator um, finds that no contract violation occurred, then um, the flow provisions would continue to remain in effect unless there were a negotiated settlement reached between Delta and Delta Alpha. Um, your question suggests that you know a little bit more, though, and it's true. Sometimes an arbitrator will attempt to broker a settlement or a mutually agreeable resolution between the two parties. Sometimes an arbitrator will attempt that, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. So we don't really know the answer to that question, but I think ultimately the clarification you are seeking, um, the arbitrator is more likely than not to find either a violation or no violation. Perfect. Thanks, Jane. All right. The next uh, question is a text from Anonymous. Uh, it said, Nick, you said this deal could have been offered to another carrier such as SkyWest or Republic. Would offering this LOA to another carrier not violate the second section of our bridge agreement, which states that Delta will not implement a career progression program that is more favorable than, off than offered at Endeavor. Well, absolutely. And if they offer a flow-up flow back at another carrier, we are certainly going to meet to that. But again, the company's position was we're going to go shop this deal around and not necessarily shop the flow-up portion of it. Now, would, would another carrier sign on to that? Um, who knows? I mean, who knows what you would have to offer a carrier to be able to entice them to take on uh, a flow-down? Uh, without a flow up. So we would have to see if that would even be be viable or feasible. Um, but if they did offer that flow up, you're right, it would be in violation of it, and we certainly would uh, meet to that. you got to think 35 airplanes are at play, yeah. right? So if they, when you look at big picture, everybody, it, if somebody offered you 35 airplanes as a company, um, then you you got to understand for some of these smaller, maybe like a republic, um, airlines that may be struggling, that might that might change a pilot group. So that's something that they might have done. We don't know. We don't have the foresight um, to see what Delta was thinking uh, and, and change that agreement. Mm -hmm. So we could only see what they were offering us. All right, the next question is also a text, and it says, it seems that Endeavor Pilots and Delta is, say, are the beneficiaries of this flow. Wouldn't it be Delta Pilots' goal to cut us out of the deal and negotiate something that makes themselves and Delta the beneficiaries, essentially making this flow likely short-lived? You know, I think that that's not really a fair characterization. Honestly, the Delta MEC has always been very favorable to us gaining guaranteed and contractual career progression, and they're very happy that we have this flow agreement. Their disagreement is not with us. It's in the process. Remember, when they needed LOA-9, when Delta was uh, threatening furloughs, they didn't have it available to them. It was not made available to them. So they had to make strategic decisions somewhat under duress with this tool in their toolbox not available to them. And it would have been a very powerful tool. Then when Delta wants to operate these 35 RJs to their strategic advantage, they go ahead and unilaterally kind of go around the Delta MEC and they find what they believe to be a solution to this problem that unlocks those 35 aircraft. So really, like I said, the ire between Delta and the Delta MEC is on a process and on a contractual dispute, nothing more than that. I don't think that there's any goal of the Delta MEC to try to cut out the Endeavor MEC in this benefit. And in fact, we're going to continue to coordinate our efforts to make sure that the best resolutions and outcomes and benefits can hap happen with both pilot groups. You want to take this one, Dave? Yeah, this is a text message uh, from... Uh Andrew Gears is a New York City 900FO. 
Uh, with the 35 aircraft scope relief part of this agreement, do we have an expectation of how many will come to Endeavor, or will, will it be split through the three DCI carriers? We don't have any indication yet how many of the aircraft uh, will be coming to Endeavor. Uh, there's been some early indications from the company that at least some of the aircraft are at Endeavor, uh, but it's it dependent on in, on the network as to where Delta wants to fly those. Obviously, if these are airplanes that they want to fly in the Salt Lake City system, uh, those are likely not to come here. Uh, or in the LA system, or even in the Boston system. Um, so uh, it's it's just dependent on where network planning wants to fly the airplanes, and then they're going to, I think, determine which carriers those aircraft would go to um, at that point. Would you like to take this one, Jade? Sure. Captain Matt Wiggs, looking from the TA, there is a maximum flow rate of 20 per month or 25% of the pipe, whichever is smaller. I do not see a minimum number anywhere. So what is the minimum number that each month will that will be hiring? Oh, I was wondering what was hitting me in the head. I.e., can Delta hire 50 a month and only five to Endeavor hires since there is no minimum? No, there there is a little section that will say we will get the first 20 slots um, that are offered or 20 positions that are offered in each month of that so there is that little caveat there cut out that is so we do have the first 20 so if they're offering 50 per month we will have 20 uh, available in that month um, not a minimum so they can't cut us out below 20 if they're hiring 50. so i know it's kind of funky how it's worded in there but there is that 20 if they're going to hire more than that we will have that they are 15 we'll get 15 spots uh the next question is a text message and i'm not really sure the answer oh why did the i thought it was said when i'm sorry why did the flow with compass stop because the agreement was for all of the seniority list pilots at date of ratification and eventually those senior seniority list pilots flowed to delta so that's the simplest answer that i can give jane is there any other well it was the commentary it, it was yeah the loa 9 as we're refer referencing here was the second compass flow document after sure. they sold uh, compass to trans states so part of that negotiation was who was going to flow uh, at compass that's why the um, the uh, pilots at the data signing are, are the only ones captured in that agreement. Originally, when Compass was formed and they had the flow, it was all pilots, inclusive of new hires, but they had to cut it off somewhere uh, when they uh, had to meet and confer uh, after Compass was sold to Transstates. Thanks, Dave. You want to take the next one? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Captain Daniel Foster asks, what happens in a few months? If in a few months this goes through arbitration and Delta loses, uh, what do you think are the odds that after flowing a handful of pilots, the Delta packs up this deal and cuts the rest of us off? Um, uh, again, uh, I think we referenced a little bit of this earlier, um, that um, they've already set a, a standard and a precedent, uh, and I think we would probably return to the bargaining table to try and uh, negotiate a, um, a replacement program, because as you could imagine, the, the morale of the company would take a deep dive if, if, if they just automatically stopped any sort of progression to Delta. You want to take this one or you want me to take it? I'll let you take it. Okay. Uh, the next one is a text message from Anonymous. If I get an invite to interview before the agreement is signed, will it still be the same interview process where the job knowledge test is not required? I'm assuming you're talking about the DGI um, because the off-the-street uh, process, to my uh, knowledge, has not changed. And, again, we don't control the DGI process. We have no say in the DGI process. Uh, we have no say whether it's going to be the process that it was before this agreement or after this agreement. So... 
Um, that's going to be a question best served uh, to your local base management, so please reach out to them. What is the next after the API? What is next after the API is ratified? AIP. AIP. Well, right now it's a TA, so a tentative agreement. So with that, uh, the next thing, again, I think before that we're going to kind of sort out the language um, on how, what's the schedule of the flow process. So once we understand the flow process, then they're going to understand and take basically a section or a group that they're going to offer um, the flow to. And within that, they'll have those 45 days to decide whether they're going to flow or not. And so that would be kind of the first kind of snapshot that you'll see. Now within that, I think is what you're looking for. And that's kind of the communications you'll see, um, the implementation processes that will be communicated. That's all that will be communicated in the next several weeks. I'm, we're hoping to have that wrapped up within the company within the next week or two on how it will be implement, implemented in the next week. Um, I know that we're starting those processes mm -hmm. um, right now. So within that, I think your next part is with the staffing and sorted schedule in inefficiencies and generally poor quality of life, will attention be given to the punishment that the pilot group is experiencing. I think some of that, again, right now uh, was COVID. And then now, right now, is we're ramping up the hiring. And so with that, you're starting to see the quality of life both improve and then kind of ebb and flow as the needs of the company are trying to be met within the fleet group. And they're trying to get pilots into the right seats. And as they do that, I think you'll see the quality of life improve within each work group as they balance each of that fleet. And I think one thing you'll notice, if you take a look even just from the uh, May bid packet to the June bid pack, you'll notice about a one hour change in uh, utilization per aircraft per day. That is a very large jump from month to month and that's where you're gonna get uh, in theory, better schedules. Uh, and uh, Jay Furnish had indicated at our MEC meeting that they anticipate uh, it was either July or August to be back up to uh, utilization that they saw uh, pre-pandemic. So they're right now, instead of adding extra airframes, they're pushing network planning uh, to raise the utilization on the current airplanes. That'll That's what will be uh, helpful to the schedules and your days off uh, more than adding um, adding um, uh, halls to the uh, to the fleet. All right, the next uh, question comes from First Officer Troy Jones. I heard you mention that we have a 45-day window once our number comes up. If you miss the 45-day window, are you dropped to the bottom or you do, or do you just lose flow rights? Um, Jane, would you want to take this one? Yes. Um, based on our understanding of how the flow functioned previously at Compass and Masaba, um, if a pilot didn't affirmative respond, affirmatively respond to flow within 45 days, um, they permanently forfeited their flow rights. So in other words, no, you don't go to the bottom. You have a one-time offer, and um, it would be expected that a response would be forthcoming in that time period. Thanks, Jane. The next uh, question from, comes from uh, Captain Ashray Sardana. It was mentioned earlier that on previous proposed CAP, which is the Career Advancement Plan, one exclusion was OTS, DGI, ETD, Propel, PARB, and SSP who are unsuccessful with the interview and would be barred from participating. Although the current TA does not have any of these exemptions, 
Is it still likely that a future career progression program will not allow pilots to flow who received a no from Delta in the past? Dave, I think you touched on that. You want to go ahead and take this one? Yeah, thanks, Nick. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, again, that proposal from the company was an initial proposal that we countered on, which obviously we would have removed the, many of these restrictions. And we, after that, we never received another counterproposal from the company. Uh, our goal in any negotiation would be to limit the amount of exemptions uh, that would be in there. Uh, that would prevent any pilots from moving up to Delta. So, I, while I can't, you know, I can't give you a a hundred uh, percent certain answer as to what would happen in the next negotiation, we would fight really hard to remove those exemptions, uh, and uh, so that anybody who um, more people will be eligible to, uh, you know, progress to Delta under the replacement program. But again, it'd be I can't give you any assurance that that's what would happen. All right, this text message came in. You mentioned we don't know the length of the program, so does that mean it may be terminated before all pilots and property flow? That could be a possibility before all the pilots flow that it could be terminated, but we'll probably see some pilots flow. That number um, is, is a guesstimate by all of us. We kind of have an idea that uh, how long an arbitration could take, but there's different processes within that so uh, the amount of number that's going to flow, uh, we don't know that. Uh, and if it is terminated, we won't know that time frame either. So yes, all that is a possibility, but what we do know is if we do ratify this, some are going to flow. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, next question comes from Captain Mike Swanson. Mike writes, what happens if it's your turn to flow and you are still a first officer? Do you forfeit the flow or are you eligible once you upgrade? No, you would forfeit your rights to flow if you have not upgraded under the terms of the LOA, uh, Mike. So you have to make that upgrade. Now, what we are going to talk about to the, with the company in the implementation phase is what happens in the unlikely event that we're, you know, parking aircraft or we're downsizing or, you know, something along those lines that happens. Um, you know, we'll talk about the company on the, uh, to the company about those one-offs. But in a normalized situation, you have to affirmatively make that jump from first officer to captain to be eligible for the flow. All right, I guess I'll take this one. Uh, it's a text message from Captain Andrew Konecki. Um, seeing as the company was interested in excluding double nose, degree list people, and whatnot in the original cap, will the MEC pursue preventing that sort of language in future negotiations to enhance this flow agreement, any standalone agreements? Like I said earlier, Andrew, uh, we're gonna do our best to uh, to remove any sort of exclusions that the company might put in uh, into future agreements. Uh, I can't guarantee what will happen as they're all subject to negotiation, but we do our best to, uh, to limit those exclusions. Uh, then, do you want to take this one or you want me to? I can. Go for it. In the event where the flow opportunity comes around and is in conflict with personal event where we're unable to defer the class date for a period of time, Again, this is like what Jane say, uh, stated, that 45 days, we have that opportunity within those 45 days. And as we currently understand it, uh, you have to make that decision within those 45 days. That is what our understanding currently is. But there, I, is, there is an exception. There is an exception built into the LOI. One. Yes, right? for extenuating circumstances, but that is going to be at the company's This discretion. is a personal event. Is that an extenuating circumstance? I think a pilot in this situation yeah. would affirmatively elect to flow, and then it would be between that pilot and Delta Correct. to work out yeah. the terms of any necessary leave. And we can say that in the past, at both Compass and Masaba, 
Delta was very reasonable in providing time off to people mm -hmm. who needed a bit of time before commencing class. You want this one, Dave? Yeah, sure. This is a text message. It says, I understand that 20 a month. Is that a min minimum or a maximum per month? Uh, and it's essentially really uh, a both. Uh, the number in the agreement is 20. Uh, and uh, so um, there's nothing in there that uh, says they can take more. Um, uh, but um, but uh, they are required to take 20 as long as they're hiring at least 20 that month. The next email question comes from First Officer Sam Atanzio. I'm curious why the company is coming to us with efficiency improvements since it seems we are absolutely crushing it when compared to others in the DCI portfolio. Didn't we just set a record-breaking 70 days of no cancellations very recently? So yeah, let me talk to you about what efficiency savings really means. And what efficiency savings really means is headcount savings. We want to be able to perform the same amount of flying with less heads. Therefore, what we can do is we can take on more block hours and more flying and meet the demands of the network and demands of Delta. That's really what we're talking about when it comes to efficiency savings. It's not that we're not running an efficient airline, but if you can do so while reducing pilot headcounts, there's cost savings there. Now, in negotiations, what we typically do is we monetize those cost savings and we try to get quids of equitable value in return. Again, the reason that we didn't have a package that had all of those moving parts is because you can do a robust package or an expeditious package, but it's difficult to do both. And in this case, the time frame in which Delta wanted to get these 35 aircraft operating trumped their need for any of these types of efficiencies. But strategically, we're well served knowing what the company is after and what the company is going to be looking for in the future. So that's uh, definitely a good thing for us. You want this one, Dave? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, email question from Captain Therrell Edwards uh, says, my question is, what are the uh, stages for our pilots to flow over? Do we get a seniority number? Is there an application process involved? Any meetings with Delta HR or the pilot group? Um, no meetings with Delta HR. Um, uh, uh, we're, we're, the company is narrowing down the process that the pilots are going to have to go through in order to complete the background check and, and those sort of processes uh, in moving over to Delta. And, and you know, hopefully we'll have some um, some on that for you next week uh, as to what the process is going to be. But there will have to be some sort of process regards in regards to the employment application in order to make it through the, um, the background check. Uh, so, But again, hopefully we'll have more information on you that next week. All right, our next uh, text message is anonymous. Uh, Thanks for all you do. Also loved the intro music. Uh, nice job, Peter Rollman. No, oh, no? Tony Richardson. Nice job, Tony Richardson. It makes sense that Delta would use Endeavor as the flowback carrier due to all the reasons you mentioned. However, you mentioned that Delta could use LOA9 to flow to even a non-DCI carrier. What would be the benefit of that? If I understand correctly, that means they could come to an agreement with such uh, with a carrier such as GoJet that does no Delta flying whatsoever. Practically, why would they do that? Thanks. Again. Delta's position is just that this LOA can go, can go anywhere. Obviously, we're the best choice for a lot of different reasons. I think their next stop, honestly, probably would have been SkyWest, and after that, Republic, they would have kept it within at least the DCI network. My point in saying that this agreement could go anywhere was just to kind of state affirmatively what Delta's position has been through Endeavor at the bargaining table, that their viewpoint is we can take this agreement somewhere else, we can come to a, some sort of negotiated settlement there, and we can park this flow back and unlock these 35 jets. 
Another option for them is they could just revive the Compass certificate if they wanted to purchase it and start an airline with 35 aircraft. They do have some options. Ours, again, is probably the most cost-effective and streamlined out there, hence why we were the first stop on, on their tour. That's uh, Captain Mike Hagler. Aside from the arbitration process, can flow be terminated at any time for pilots currently on property? Um, it can be, uh, as Nick kind of stated and alluded to, uh, it can be negotiated out of. Uh, the Delta MEC, per their PWA, if they do change their PWA, that could change the flow up and that could be terminated at that time uh, for the pilots going up. And besides the LOA currently and Delta negotiation process that's going on, that's the only times that it could be terminated. Can I take this one, Dave? Yeah, thanks. Um, First Officer Bob Lewis writes, why do Delta pilots flow back to the top of our seniority list displacing Endeavor captains? Uh, again, um, this was part of the, uh, uh, the LOA-9 provisions that they had, uh, that they had negotiated with Compass, uh, the point being that they would uh, flow to, uh, to the, back to the top of the list with the exception uh, they wouldn't flow uh, to the, above any pilots uh, that with protected rights status. And so, um, uh, so we do have protections for our top 10% here. Uh, that'll be protected against a, 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 a loss in seniority as a result of a Delta flowback. All right, an email, anonymous email. If I have a class date at Delta, can this flow stop me from going to Delta on time? Well, again, we're currently working on the implementation process and within this LOA, they have up to 90 days that they can hold pilots back that have the flow rights. So what we have said is if you want to send the uh, DGI guys that have the CGOs currently sitting, that they have those ability to send those DGI guys with the CGOs on time and give the flow right pilots a uh, Delta seniority number and hold them back up to 90 days and, and then allow them to flow within those 90 days. So we're trying to, again, work out how does that intertwine and what does that actually look like? We haven't got to that yet and that's what we've been talking about within the next couple of weeks that we're trying to work out. The next question was a text question. Was there any discussion during the negotiations about detaching the 35 aircraft from the flow agreement instead of them being tied to the flow? Absolutely. Um, that would have been an ideal outcome for us. But the fact of the matter is, that is what brought Delta to the bargaining table to begin with, was trying to unlock these 35 aircraft. So without that component, it's unlikely we were going to reach a deal. Now, again, I believe that we're going to reach a deal on guaranteed and contractual career progression for new hires. I also believe that if we um, see this arbitration process unfold in a manner in which does not allow Endeavor to keep its current flow program, we will be right back at the table um, negotiating a new program because I believe that that's what the labor market is going to demand uh, of Delta and uh, of Endeavor. We saw it right prior to the pandemic, and I think we'll see it again. Um, so ultimately, we had to make the decision, is operating these 35 aircraft and not bifurcating those things, is that worth moving pilots to Delta earlier? Because we're not quite in that environment yet. It, we're accelerating towards it, but we're not there. Strategically, it made sense. So while we would have preferred them not to be t attached to the flow, um, we weren't necessarily deterred to the point where we were going to say no on that. 
Uh, Dave, you want to take this one? Yeah, this is a text message uh, question. It says uh, several questions here. Are, are we waiting for Delta and their MEC to come to an agreement before signing this agreement? Uh, no, we'll be signing this agreement, and then um, uh, Delta will be taking their, disagree their contractual dispute through the grievance process uh, at their property that's outlined in their uh, PWA. Um, or will we start it ASAP? Uh, we will be starting it as soon as we can uh, once it uh, should it be ratified. In other words, is there a possibility that we could start the flow and have a certain number of pilots flow to Delta before an arbitrator rules in favor of the Delta MEC regarding LOA 9 and our flow then stops? So would we uh, would have some pilots there and then the rest of us would be back to square one? Yeah, there's a very real possibility that there could be some pilots at Delta and that the uh, the provisions of the uh, LOA stop and uh, and then we would have some pilots back here or uh, remaining here. Uh, that uh, didn't uh, weren't eligible to flow, but like Nick said, uh, we, you know we believe we'll be back at the table really quick should that happen uh, to negotiate a replacement program uh, and um, and be able to get something uh, done uh, hopefully in, in fairly short order um, should it happen. But w again, we'll just it'll just be uh, telling us to what happens uh, with the arbitration. All right, the next one is from Captain Theodore Wilbar. Uh, Captain Wilbar writes, I've heard from multiple people that they think this deal is just to get the 35 airplanes on property for the summer, and once the arbitration is over, the summer will be over. Is this likely a reason for Delta agreeing to this deal? No, I don't think it is the reason for Delta agreeing to this deal. Um, a three-month reprieve, four-month reprieve, five-month reprieve with uh, 35 aircraft isn't really going to move the needle enough in the long term. Um, Delta has uh, a lot of staffing issues. Uh, they have 14 different variant types, and they've got a lot of people in, in the wrong positions. 35 aircraft doesn't necessarily solve that. It does help it, but it doesn't necessarily solve that. And I also think bigger picture, they want these aircraft, at least from Delta's perspective, operating in perpetuity uh, because they don't want to have to give up market share to their competitors. Everybody is in the race for pilots and the race for market share again. Um, so I think that it goes well beyond this summer. But thank you for... The question, Theodore. Captain Ramos Ortiz, would you go over the potential cap agreement for new hires? Uh, so the cap agreement again for new hires. Well, Dave, do you want to go over your initial piece of the cap agreement for new hires again? Yeah, actually, Ramon, if um, if you want to just uh, um, listen uh, to Nick's podcast when it comes out, it goes over um, the uh, cap agreement in pretty good detail. If you have any questions after you um, after you listen to that, please reach out to uh, either Nick or myself or Jade and, we'll, and uh, give us a call, and we can walk uh, walk it through uh, with, with you over the telephone. And all right, sorry, go ahead. There was a second piece of that. Are there any incentives being offered? for the protected ISL 10% as far as compensation, benefits, et cetera. As far as that, we, we do have those, again, that guarantee that those aircraft are gonna be here uh, with the contract extension uh, out and also the uh, bridge agreement extended. So that, that is a good benefit. And again, we're unlocking another opportunity for negotiations in the future. And uh, I was just told the podcast went out today, uh, so <laughs> I approved it. So I should have known that. But um, <laughs> but uh, um, but the pod Ramon, the podcast did go out. Please click on the link and listen to it. If you have any questions, uh, again, feel free to after you're listening to it, re reach out to us with any questions you have. But just keep in mind that the again that was an initial proposal that was by no means uh, going to be the final product uh, as to what the cap was going to be for new hires. 
I get it. Dave, you have to li- listen to me so much, it's all blur. Yes. I completely <laughs> yeah. get it. Well, and these days get long when oh, we're, when yes. we're yes. doing this. <laughs> so, all right, our next text question. Um, what happens if somebody opts out of the flow? Will the next person in line go that month, or will only 19 go for that month? That's something that we're going to work through in the implementation phase. But again, our goal would be to get 20 pilots uh, per month to move to Delta. So we would want to obviously cast a larger net. Um, we're talking internally about how large of a net needs to be cast initially because there will be a larger cadre of pilots within the senior contingent that probably won't want to move versus after we get past that first two or 300 pilots, it's probably going to be pretty regimented to every pilot wanting to move to Delta with the, with the rare exception. So we'll work, on, uh, we'll work on that in the implementation phase, but the goal would be to ensure that 20 pilots every single month take the first class spots available and inside each Delta class. All right, Captain Don Drexler, how are you doing today? Response, we have 45 days to respond. If Delta is having classes every month, would we have someone that responds on day five go to class before someone that responds on day 40? Or does it go to go in seniority? Um, it all, dis- all depends on when they respond and, and the class date. And I'll kind of turn it over to Jane on the seniority side piece of it. Right. Pilots will move in seniority order. And that's the purpose of a 45-day response period. Um, the company in Alpha will take a look at the responses at the end of 45 days. We will ensure that enough pilots have been notified of the flow opportunity to send 20 per month, and the 20 most senior pilots responding in the affirmative will go. Again, pilots who don't respond in the 45 days will have forfeited their flow rights. Thanks, Jane. I'll take the next one. It's a text message. It says, even with the flow, is the psych evaluation still a thing? Um, It is still a thing for off-the-street hires, but not a thing for uh, the flow-through pilots. The flow-through pilots don't have to go through um, anything to to move on to Delta. They will just get a a flow notice from the company, elect whether or not to go, fill out the paperwork, and they will be uh, in the class that they're scheduled to go to. Well, guess what? There's no more questions. Awesome. Um, anything, uh, any callers in the queue? No more emails, no more texts? Excellent. Anything from you guys? Jane? Nothing more from me. All right. Well, I just want to say thank you, everybody, for joining us on the call today. Please listen to the podcast. Please engage with your reps. I think that this is a very good deal that's going to advance a lot of our strategic objectives. Please understand that the Delta MEC is very, very favorable to us getting a flow agreement. Their dispute is simply one of a process and contract up inside uh, their ranks, inside their PWA. Um, take your uh, take the time the rest of the week to get familiar with your deal, get familiar with the deal. Talk to your fellow pilots again, engage officers, reps, negotiators. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to engage with us. And uh, I guess we'll give a little shout out to the comms team here. And I'm sure uh, as we fade away, you'll probably get to see them. But uh, fly safe and be safe out there, everyone. We'll see you on the line. Thanks for joining. Take care.